Hey everyone, this is Nikki Heaton, and you are listening to the third episode of Nikki Unfiltered. This week's topic will be all about being an empath. Whether you know what an empath is and you want to learn more about my struggles, whether you don't know, whether you have no idea what I'm even saying right now, if you want to know more about this topic, keep listening. So I think I should start this off kind of outlining what being an empath is. Because I'm pretty sure there's people out there who have no clue what that term even means. And aside from trying to educate those who have no idea, um, there's probably a lot of people out there who are an empath and they just haven't known that there's a term for it. So let me just go ahead and tell you about what being an empath is. So being an empath does not mean that you possess empathy. That's completely different. So let's take it back to the very beginning. Sympathy that's when you're able to feel pity for someone, right? Like you're sympathetic to someone's situation. Being empathetic is more than showing pity. It's showing that you understand what that person is going through and showing that you can relate to them on some sort of level. So to make this even easier, let me go about this in a way of examples. So say that there's someone in a party and they're standing there and you can tell that they're in a bad mood. So someone who is sympathetic will go up to that person, hear what their problem is, express pity and be like, oh, I feel so bad for you. Like that, that sucks. And then walk away and that's it. They're not going to keep thinking about that person. They showed that they have sympathy by saying, oh, wow, I'm, I'm really sorry, but that's pretty much where it ends. Someone who is empathetic, if they go up to that person who's having a hard time and they hear all about their story it's like they feel what is happening to that person and they express understanding and they also can say, wow, like, I, I really feel your pain. Like, that really, really sucks. Um, and they feel a deeper level of understanding towards that person, but then they can also walk away and join another conversation and that's the end of it. Being an empath means when you go up to that person who's having a hard time, you feel what they're feeling so strongly that it's like you're going through those emotions yourself. It's like it's happening to you. And even when you're done talking to that person and you walk away, you're going to carry those feelings with you. It's almost like you were subjected to some type of virus. Like someone has the flu and you walk up to them, you're going to walk away with that flu. That's what being an empath is. Being a psychic empath is even different. It's all of those things, but you don't even have to go up and talk to that person to find out what they're feeling. You can feel what they're feeling without them telling you. You can feel what they're feeling from across the room. You can feel what they're feeling from across the country. That's the difference. So I hope that kind of made sense. It's a little bit difficult to explain, but yeah, those are the differences between being sympathetic, being empathetic, being an empath, and being a psychic empath. So, me personally, um, I identify as being a psychic empath. Most of my life, I had no idea what that meant. I didn't know that I had these abilities. I didn't know that there was a term for it. Almost all my life, I thought I was absolutely insane. Um... I thought that I had tons of mental illnesses. Um, At one point, I and everyone around me thought that I was bipolar. Um, 
I had no idea that there was a term for this. And it wasn't until my teenage years that I actually found out that I'm not crazy. This is actually something that other people go through. So I can't remember the exact percentage right now, but I know I've seen it before. Um, empaths are actually, they're actually much more common than what you would think. I think it's something like 14% of the population are empaths, something like that. And that's why a lot of people, they'll feel these things and they'll think that they're crazy. But I want you to know that you're not alone. There's a huge population of people who have these same abilities. Um, but let me remind you, there is a big difference between being an empath and being a psychic empath. Pretty much a psychic empath just means you have these abilities on top of it that other people would consider supernatural. Um, and that's, <laughs> and it kind of sucks because in our modern society, people really haven't accepted um, empaths as something that's real, even though, you know, it's so much more widely acceptable that people go talk to psychics and, you know, they get their chakras balanced. Like, that's okay, but empaths are still a little bit too new for people to accept that it's a real thing. So especially psychic empaths, a lot of people don't, they don't talk about it because anyone that they try and explain this to, they're like, oh, you're fucking nuts. And that's how I felt for a lot of my life. I thought I was fucking nuts. So let's start from the very beginning. Um, I knew that I was different when I was very, very young. Um, I had a very, very high level of consciousness, way higher than any child should. I have memories dating back to being under two years old. Um, I remember... I remember always being very irritated and very frustrated and very angry because it was like I was this person inside my mind. I, I I had all the things I wanted to say. I had all the answers. I had all these complex thoughts, but I was trapped inside this body of being a little kid. So no one believed me. No one um, understood that I had this level of consciousness and of awareness and of intelligence. And I was always really mad at everyone because no one understood. No one understood me. Um, I remember being, you know, four years old and I could feel the emotions of all my family members around me. And I knew what was going on because I could literally read their emotions. Like I could read them like an actual book and no one took me seriously. And it made me so nuts. It made me feel like I was crazy. And what child wouldn't feel that way? Um, I didn't have any friends because of it, because I was just, I was just too different. I was too different. Imagine being on the playground when you're six years old and everyone's playing kickball and, you know, just being a wild kid. And I'm sitting there literally feeling like I'm on the verge of a panic attack because I'm feeling the emotions of a hundred kids at once. I can almost read the mind of my teacher and I know that she's looking at me different and they think that I'm weird. Like, I, I knew all these things. I was capable of all these emotions and I had no one to share it with. I had no one who could even believe me. So why would I talk about it? I just knew that I was really, really different. So I isolated myself in order to protect myself. Um, one of the first reasons I knew that I was different is that I would have these sort of visions. And I hate saying the word visions. I feel like whenever I say that, people imagine like that's a raven holding her head and, you know, having this, having this big ordeal. That's not what I have. I like to better explain it as more of a daydream. So I'll pretty much just be sitting there doing nothing. It usually happens when I'm just like zoning out. And it's almost like a movie trailer plays in my head. And it will it, it will happen so nonchalantly and so smoothly that I won't even realize that I'm daydreaming. All of a sudden, I'm just daydreaming. And 
it will just be the strangest thing. And, and the reason I know that it's a vision is because most of the time I'll sit there and be like, what a weird thing to think about. Like, what's wrong with me? And that's one of the first cues that I'm like, okay, no, that wasn't, that wasn't just a random thought. That was some sort of premonition. So the reason I have those is because I found out years later that I am what is considered an emotional, physical, and precognitive psychic empath, which means I can feel what people feel emotionally. I can sometimes feel what people feel physically, like physical ailments. And I also have premonitions about things that have yet to happen. So the first example I can think of, um, (laughs) I, I must've been, shit, I must've been like four or five and I had a vision of myself um, signing a contract and I had long blonde hair and I was in an office and I think I had a hat on and I was signing a contract and there was a couple other men in the room and I knew it was a record label deal. I was five years old. How would I even know what a record label deal is? How would I know that that involves signing a contract? <laughs> like, how could I possibly know that? And what's funny is it's really hard for me to even remember this. I'm recalling it because, um, there were other people involved. So I guess I had this vision and then I was on the playground, um, I think in first grade and I stopped playing with the girls who I usually played with because I had to focus and I had other things to do. And I guess one of the teachers noticed that I was all by myself and the principal came outside and the principal like squatted down next to me and was like, Hey, Nikki, like, why aren't you playing with your friends? I noticed that you usually always play Foursquare and now you're just by yourself. And I was like, uh, principal, I just, I just don't have the time. I don't have the time to be playing with these kids. They don't understand. Like I, I have things to do. I have, I have deadlines. I have a lot of work to work on. And he's like, what are you, what are you talking about? What, what do you mean you have things to do? And I was like, oh, um, yeah, I'm going to be famous. I'm, I'm going to sign a record deal. Like it's happening really soon. So I have to, I have to really buckle down and start writing music because I'm, you know, because I'm going to be famous and I'm about to sign a contract. And he went and told my mom, he told, he told the guidance counselor, and he's like, I think your daughter's a pathological liar. I think she's also crazy. Um, but I swear, that's what I told him, because I had that vision. Um, I don't remember having that vision, but everyone else told me that that happened. So the first time that I remember having a premonition, I was um, about seven years old, and I had decided that I was going to kill myself. Um, if you listen to my earlier podcast, you know that I had a difficult childhood. I only told you a little bit about my childhood, but I was seven years old and I decided that I was going to kill myself. And one of the reasons being was I thought that I could make a bargain with, with God and that if I took my own life, maybe he would let my sister live. And on top of that, I was just so depressed and I felt so ignored. I felt so alone. I felt on top of having, you know, parents who were alcoholics and a sister who was ill, I was having all of these internal struggles because I was coming into my own as a psychic empath and I had no idea what that meant. So I just thought I was fucking crazy on top of everything else that was happening and I just couldn't handle it. And I made the decision that I wanted to kill myself. So I had a handful of sleeping pills. I had like 18 of them. And I remember sitting on my bed and knowing that since no one really cared about me and what I was doing, that no one was going to come in the room and save me. No one was going to 
be like, Nikki, wait, we, we all love you and we miss you. And no, 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 don't do this. Like I knew no one was going to come in and save me. This wasn't, this wasn't a cry for attention. I, I was concrete in my decision that I was going to kill myself. And I was sitting on the edge of my bed, seven years old, and I poured all the pills into my left hand in my palm. And I was looking at them and all of a sudden I'm getting goosebumps even talking about it. (laughs) All of a sudden I started to have a daydream. I'm looking at these little blue pills in my hand and I look in the mirror because I'm sitting on my bed and my mirror is right in front of me. And at this time I I had like short hair. I had dyed it dark. Um, I was super, super chubby. I like was like playing around and like put black eyeliner all around my eyes. Like I looked like a little emo freak and I was, you know, a big girl. I was like a roly poly. And, you know, I didn't look anything like I look now is the point that I'm trying to make. And I'm holding these pills in my hand and I'm having this daydream and I'm seeing this young woman and she's standing on stage and she has a guitar and there's thousands and thousands of people screaming her name. And she's standing up there with this long blonde hair and tan skin, and she's beautiful. And she's singing, and people are listening to her, and they're chanting her name. And after a moment, I realized that they're chanting my name. And it was like, God was showing me that I, I can't leave yet. I can't, I can't kill myself. I, I can't go yet, because look, look what I'm going to become. Look at this person that I'm destined to be. And I was sure that God was showing me that. And maybe it was God, maybe it was my psychic ability, but I had a vision of the person that I was going to turn into. And it looked nothing like the person I was then. And that's why it was really hard for me to understand it. At first I was like, who is who is this girl that I'm seeing? But they were they were chanting my name. And that's how I knew that's what I was meant to be. And I looked at the pills in my hand and I dumped them in the trash because I knew I had to keep living because I saw the person that God wanted me to be. Um, One of the next times that I had a vision, I was on the school bus and I was in third or fourth grade and um, I had my headphones in and I was like humming along to this song and these two asshole kids were sitting behind me. They were like the popular kids. Um, And one of them literally hit me in the head as hard as he could and he was like, shut the fuck up, you sound so terrible you're never going to be a famous singer. Like you're terrible. Like, like just shut up. And I remember sitting there just silently crying and looking out the window of the school bus. And all of a sudden (laughs) it was like a daydream came through my head. And what's weird. And I remember it perfectly. What was so weird about it is that my vision was in black and white and it was these glass walls. It was almost like there were glass walls all around And there was this black guy sitting behind a desk that had all these knobs on it. And there I was, grown up with long blonde hair, tan skin. And I was in this glass room with a microphone and I was singing and I heard this beautiful music playing. Now, if you're a fan of mine, you're realizing that what I just described was the bad intentions video for the lyrics. It was all done in black and white. 
And before you say, oh, you saw it, so you made that happen, I didn't edit the video. Capitol Records edited it. I never knew that it was going to be in black and white. I didn't choose the studio. I didn't know that it was going to be glass walls. But I was in fourth grade, and I saw that music video. And I knew again, don't let these people upset you. Don't don't listen to them. Don't listen to these people telling you that you're not going to be someone because you, you, you've already seen it. You've seen the person that you're going to become. And I knew that it was real. So no matter who told me that I sucked or that I was never going to be anyone or that I should give up, I didn't listen to them because I had already seen it. I knew that it was going to happen. So there was nothing that was going to stop me from achieving that. So those are the visions that I remember having when I was younger. And back then, I didn't really think about myself being psychic or having psychic abilities. I thought that it was just God showing me because each time that I had these visions, I was so upset that I like I wanted to commit suicide. So I thought that was his way of stopping me, which it still might be, but I don't know whether that came from, you know, my spiritual connection or being an empath, but those were the visions that I had when I was younger. Um, so being an empath means that you feel everything very, very intensely. You feel emotions way stronger than the average person. Um, and it doesn't just affect you emotionally, it affects you physically. So you can be so upset by something that most people, it would just make them cry and then they get over it. But an empath, when they feel really, really upset, it can affect them physically. Like they'll They'll be very ill, they'll throw up, they'll get a fever, they'll have these weird illnesses that um, you'll go to the doctor and the doctor's like, I have no idea why this is happening. Um, that's a, a pretty common story that empath children have is that they were always having these like weird symptoms of these crazy illnesses that doctors could never figure out. And it was because they are manifesting these emotions that they don't know how to handle. And they're so strong that it affects them in a way that most people can't understand because it never happens to them. So that was me. I had very, very high anxiety. I was unbelievably sensitive. I was very depressed. Um, I thought I was bipolar because all of a sudden I'd be so happy and then the next moment I'd be so sad. And that sounds a lot like being bipolar, but it's also what happens to an empath because you can be super, super happy and then you go into a different room and there's one person in there who's depressed and you suddenly feel consumed by their emotions. And you're like, why am I so depressed all of a sudden? Where did it come from? Am I crazy? And most of the time you think you are unless you realize, no, I'm picking up on someone else's energy. I'm feeling what they're feeling. So yeah, for me, it's really, really hard um, to be around people. It's hard to be in public settings. It's really hard to be like places like the mall or in an amusement park, just any place where there's a lot of people. It's very, very hard for me. Um, also phone calls are very, very difficult. I will avoid talking on the phone at all costs because I can pick up people's energy much stronger. Um, just from hearing their voice, it affects me terribly. So if you know me, you know that I never answer the phone. Um, but what's crazy is it's also been happening more and more with text and email. So if I'm, you know, having a rough day where I feel like I can't protect my energy well and I'm picking up too many emotions from other people, I won't be able to even open up my text messages. I won't be able to look at emails because just the written words from someone else, I'm feeling the emotion and the energy in those words. Um, 
So if that happens to you, know that you're not alone. <laughs> I also have a very hard time with calling and texting. So I don't really know what else to say about myself and being an empath. Um, that's why I asked a lot of my followers, hey, what questions do you have? So I have quite a few questions from people. So one of the main questions is, how do you know if you're an empath? So some common traits of people who are empaths or psychic empath is you are highly sensitive, like more sensitive than most people in regards to your emotions. Um, a lot of empaths have good luck. We're known as kind of like luck makers. Like if you come in contact with an empath, you suddenly feel like you can't lose, you know? Um, and I feel like I've done that for a lot of people. Everyone I meet, they're like, oh, I just like have this feeling that I can go and do all these things and be all these things. And like, you've given me this new confidence. And, like, that's what being an empath is, is because we can share our energy. So if I'm in a good mood and you come up and talk to me, you're going to be in the best mood ever. And you're going to feel like you're on top of the world. And you're probably going to feel like you have good luck all day. So that's something that's very common. Um, empaths also hate conflict. We will avoid it at all costs. I cannot tell you, I would rather die than have to confront someone or start a fight with someone. Like, I would rather die. So that's a huge trait. We hate conflict. We hate confrontation. Um, another thing is we have high sensory stimulation. So I noticed this when I was very, very young, when I would be getting ready for school and if the lights were too bright, I would freak out. And I would have a panic attack because I could feel like my body was like absorbing these lights and I was overheating so easily if it was too bright. Um, so fluorescent lights really, really affect me. Also loud noises. If someone's screaming or yelling, I usually either have a panic attack or I have to shut down in order to protect myself because these loud noises, it's like, it's like bombs going off and it's almost like I had PTSD and I was in the war, even though nothing ever happened to me. Um, so if you're an empath, you probably have high sensory stimulation. So aside from light and sound, that could also mean if you're in a crowd of people and too much is going on, you might feel like you're going crazy or you're going to have a panic attack because there's too much stimulation. There's just too much. I definitely have that. <laughs> um, empaths also have good instincts. They usually have these gut feelings and they're usually right. Um, they usually come across as loners. We're very introverted because it's hard to be around people. Empaths also have a crazy connection with animals. If you feel like you've always been able to almost like communicate with animals or they instinctively just know you and come to you, like you're probably an empath. I feel like I can have conversations with my dogs and they understand every word that I say. Um, and animals also are very empathetic just naturally. I feel like animals are empaths. So if you've always had this weird connection to your dog and feel like your dog only understands you, you're probably an empath. Um, also, sleep issues are very common, especially in childhood. Um, I had insomnia most of my life and I could never figure out why. And it was because I am an empath. So if you have problems with sleep either now or when you were a child, that's a really big sign. Empaths are very loving, very compassionate. Um, we're highly intuitive. So even if you're not a psychic empath, you usually just know when something bad's going to happen. You just have a feeling. Your intuition about people are really spot on. You'll meet someone and you'll be like, I don't like them, but I don't know why. And you're usually 100% right that you shouldn't like that person because they're bad. Your instincts, your intuition is usually spot on. 
Um, another thing is empaths love nature. We love being outside. We feel the most at peace when we're surrounded by nature. If we're walking through a meadow or we're in, in the middle of a forest, that's when we feel truly, truly comfortable. So those are some very big signs that you're an empath. So one of the questions that I've gotten over and over again is how to be social and to interact with people without being overwhelmed. So that's very, very difficult for me. Um, yeah, it's very, very hard for me to be around people and to interact. Usually when I have to be around people, I am very closed. Um, I'll come across as very introverted because... I'm so uncomfortable. A lot of people will think that I'm very shy because I'm not trying to talk too much and I'm almost kind of, it's almost like I'm trying to hide inside of myself. So interacting with new people is very, very hard for me. I guess one of the ways that I overcome it when I have to is that before I leave the house, I'll try and meditate or pray and just try and ground myself as much as I possibly can, which means you just try and be one with your emotions because being an empath it's almost like you have a million different emotions circulating in your head at once. And it's like this storm going on. And it's it's like there's a hundred different emotions and you don't know where they're coming from. You don't know how to stop them. It feels like you're in the middle of a tornado. So when you pray and meditate, you're aiming to kind of ground yourself and bring yourself down to base level and connect with your own emotions not anyone else's and you feel what you're feeling and you know that you're connected to yourself and once you feel calm and stable and grounded that's when you can go and interact with other people and be okay so that's pretty much one of the only things i've been able to do um, to cope with interacting and socialization another question i got was how do i protect my energy um, from energy vampires which is a fun term for narcissists. So what's one thing that all empaths have an issue with? We are somehow drawn to narcissists and narcissists are very drawn to us. So being an empath, it's like all we ever want to do is give. We're very, very generous. We want to help. We want to put ourselves out there and to kind of heal anyone who needs it. Um, people are drawn to us who have issues because they can feel that we can help them. Um, but also narcissists are drawn to us because if you know anything about narcissism, everything is about them. They need everything, all the attention, everything has to be about them. And empaths are the exact opposite. So wouldn't that just be the greatest fit ever, an empath and a narcissist? It's like yin and yang, but it's really, really not because the narcissist takes everything from an empath and an empath feels like a victim, which they pretty much are. Um, but it happens a lot. My first boyfriend was like a sociopathic narcissist. And because I'm so fragile and so sensitive when it comes to my emotions, I was pretty much like brainwashed by this person. And it was like a very abusive relationship. It was, it was not good for anyone, but mostly me. Um, so that's another sign of being an empath is if you are, constantly getting yourself into relationships with people who you feel are narcissists. So to get back to the question, protecting my energy from people like that, 
you just have to listen to your gut. You have to listen to your instincts. So if you come into contact with someone who you feel like is draining you and it isn't positive, it's it's just this person who wants to make everything about themselves. They don't ask you anything about you because it's only about them. They want to take all your energy. They want to take all your emotions. Like you need to be confident enough in yourself and strong enough to be like, hey, it's been really nice to talk to you, but I got to go. No, you can't have my number. No, I don't want to be friends. I got to go. Because people like that, it's very hard to set boundaries with them. It's different if this is someone in your family who like you have to be around, then you have to learn to set boundaries and to set rules. But if this is someone you just met and you can automatically feel like there's nothing good about them, like there's nothing that you're going to benefit by being around them, then just shut it down. Don't entertain bullshit. No is a full sentence. Walk away. So that's how you protect yourself. You don't put yourself in situations where you're going to be used or taken advantage of. You need to listen to your gut. You need to listen to your instincts. You need to listen to your intuition and put blocks up and not associate with these people. And I'm not saying that you should hide in a room and only come in contact with people you like, because obviously that isn't possible all the time. Say you have a work event and, you know, there's five people in the room where you just cannot stand but you have to be a little bit social. That's great. Be a little bit social, but put blocks up. So before you go up and have to interact with this person, stand there by yourself and imagine, like close your eyes and imagine this, almost like this shield that's coming down and it's almost encapsulating you on all sides. And it's this barrier that you can see through. It's invisible, but it's there. And it's like this force field. And you know that it's impenetrable. Your energy can't get through it. Other people's energies can't get to you. And imagine that. Imagine that it's there. Believe that it's there. Almost see it. And make sure that that is complete before you go and interact with these people who you know are narcissists or going to put you in a bad mood. That's one way to protect yourself. And it's all about visualization. If you're an empath, you know that if you believe something or if you think something, it is as good as being true. So you have to imagine, you have to believe that you have this energy shield that's protecting you at all times. And if you ever feel like it's starting to go down or, you know, these bad emotions are getting through, you have to excuse yourself, go somewhere safe, go walk outside, be by yourself, breathe and meditate and imagine that shield coming down again. So you feel protected and then you can go back in and interact with whoever you need to interact with. So those are the only things that I really do to protect myself is I obviously try and pray and meditate, ground myself, and then do these visualization exercises where I imagine that I have this shield and that no one can get through it. Um, another question I got was, what do I do to ground myself and to cleanse my energy? So I already kind of touched on this topic of grounding myself. Um, I like to pray which is my version of meditation. I'm not good at meditation. <laughs> I feel like my mind is too busy, but when I pray, I feel like that's that's my version. So I like to do that. <clears throat> that feels like that's, that's probably what, what grounds me and cleanses my energy the most is just taking a minute and connecting with that higher power that I connect with and have a personal relationship with. Another thing I like to do is go walk outside in nature barefoot. Being barefoot is so important. So if you feel like you have too much going on in your head, there's too many energies, there's too much emotion, you feel like you're going to freak out, take a breath, excuse yourself, take off your shoes and go walk outside. Make sure you feel the grass, you feel the dirt, you feel whatever it is, just walk. And that is probably one of the 
one of the hugest things that helps me. One of the biggest things that I do that helps me is to walk outside barefoot because you're literally connecting with the earth. Another thing is I love to take Epsom salt baths. Um, if you're an empath, so I forgot to list this one. This is probably one of the hugest things. If you're an empath, you have a weird obsession with water. Like you love to be in the water. You probably learned to swim at a very young age. You love taking baths. You love going to the pool. You love going to the ocean. That's a huge thing for empaths. So water is known to help cleanse us. It's known to help cleanse our energy. Um, especially salt water. So that's why Epsom salt baths are great. You have to try and submerge yourself as much as possible. And so taking an Epsom salt bath, you know, pretty much every night that will help you considerably. And if you're a person who loves crystals, great. Line your tub with all of your favorite crystals, you know, make it a whole thing. And that is your ritual for cleansing and grounding. You'll feel so much better. I swear. I don't know what I would do if I couldn't take baths. I think I would freak out. Oh, I love them so much. Anyway, (laughs) Um, the last topic a lot of people wanted me to touch on is the topic of disassociation. So I talked about this briefly on my Instagram stories when someone asked me. So disassociation pretty much is when you kind of go outside of your body. You might have had some sort of experience where something was very traumatic and your psyche literally couldn't handle it. And it's almost like you split from your body. Like this happened to my mom once and she explained it to me and she said, I was getting out of the car and I had to go talk to someone and it was so traumatic and there was so much emotion that all of a sudden she went from getting out of the car to all of a sudden she was 20 feet above looking down like a bird's eye view watching herself. And it was like her mind disassociated. That's a very severe way of explaining it. Um, I usually don't feel it in that sense where I'm looking at myself from a bird's eye view. I disassociate in a way where it's almost like my body's on autopilot and my brain goes somewhere else to protect itself. One of the first times I noticed that I did this was when I was headlining my own first tour. And I had to be on stage almost every single night in front of thousands of people. And do you have any idea how terrifying that is when you feel the energy of a thousand people at once? You feel all those emotions, each person's individual emotion, you feel at the same exact time. A few times I almost um, lost consciousness. I almost had a heart attack. I had the medics on standby on the side of the stage waiting for me because they were like, any second she's going to hit the ground. Um, I actually did pass out, I think two times side stage because it was so unbelievably traumatic to go out on stage and feel everyone's energy at once. I mean, it could be worse because everyone's energy was really excited and they like loved me. Imagine if you went out on stage and everyone hated you. I think that would that would be nearly impossible. So thank God they liked me, but it was still too much. And I realized that if I kept doing that, I was probably going to have a panic attack or a heart attack. So I had to do this thing where I would disassociate, where I would be on the side of the stage and they'd be hooking up my mic and everyone would be cheering and crying because I'm about to come out. And I would be having a little panic attack. My heart would be literally racing so hard that I thought it was going to stop. And then all of a sudden, they say, okay, you're on, click your mic on. And it's almost like a switch. And it's like I flip a switch and I go from 
heart racing, sweating, about to have a panic attack to I step on stage and it's like I don't feel anything. It's like my body is on autopilot. It's like a robot kind of took over and I'm watching all this. I'm aware of what's going on. I'm still there, but it's like I'm locked away in this small little part just observing and my body's doing all the work. And that's how I protect myself. And what sucks about that, because it sounds like, oh, great, like you found a way to, you know, not have a panic attack, to not feel like you're going to die. That's wonderful. What sucks is that usually when I disassociate, I have very little memory of what happened. So I finished one of my tours and someone asked me like, oh my God, what was your favorite city? And I was like, I don't remember. I have glimpses. I remember what I was wearing. I remember certain fans. I know what, what, what the set list was, but I don't remember being in the moment in any of those shows because I wasn't. I wasn't there. I wasn't in the moment. My body was there. I was physically there, but my mind, my psyche, it was somewhere else being protected. And it was so, so upsetting. Like, I think I was talking to this guy um, during one of my tours and I think he was with me for a few dates and at the end of the tour he was like wow that was such an amazing tour like that was that was so great like like what was your favorite time and I was like honestly I can't remember most of the time I spent with you and like he started crying and I was like oh my god get over it but <laughs> wait and it's easy for me to react like that because it's like why are you upset I'm the one who can't remember anything I'm the one who can't feel anything and to a lot of people I can come off as being cold or distant or, you know, not sensitive to people's feelings when it's like, I'm the exact opposite. I feel so much. I connect with your emotions so much that I have to turn off in order to protect myself or else I might actually die. And that's what's so upsetting about being an empath is that we're so misunderstood. It is so hurtful that there are some people out there who might think that I'm cold or that I'm mean or that I don't care because it's the exact opposite. I care so much. I am so nice. Your emotions mean so much to me. That's why I have to turn off. And it isn't just concerts that I would have to do that. I found myself doing it all the time once I figured out how. Once I realized that I could just flip this switch, I would do it constantly. Anytime I was faced with something that was upsetting or there was an emotion I couldn't handle or I had to be around someone who made me upset or made me feel bad about myself, I realized, oh, I can handle it now. I just have to turn off. And I would. And I thought it was the best thing ever until five years later, I try and look back on that part of my life and I have months, if not years, missing from my memory. It's like I was in a coma or someone roofied me. I have no memory. I have no recollection. I don't remember meeting a lot of people. I don't remember writing a lot of songs. That's what's so upsetting is I feel like I lost time. So yeah, disassociation might sound like a great thing. It might sound like this amazing tool to have in your arsenal to protect yourself against all these terrible things. But the worst part is not being able to turn it off. And suddenly you don't know how to feel again. And I went through that for a very, very long time. I went through this, this phase of my life where it was easier to turn off but then when I met someone or I, you know, wanted to have this experience that I, that I wanted to remember, I wanted to be in that moment. And it was like, I couldn't, 
I couldn't flip the switch back because I had been in this zombie state for so long. I didn't know how to flip it back. And it was so upsetting because I felt like, cool, I might as well be dead because I can't feel anything. It's like I'm a robot. It's like I'm, it's like my soul is missing. And it, it, it was so, so horrible. So what I had to do was I had to come to the decision of, do I want to not be hurt and not feel anything? Or do I want to make myself vulnerable, feel everything and suffer the consequences? And it took me a while, but I finally figured out that I would rather be hurt. I would rather feel pain than to feel nothing at all. You might think that's crazy, but trust me, it's better. It's better to feel pain. It's better to feel anything rather than to feel nothing, rather than to be closed off and safe. Like, fuck that. What is safe? You're not going to be safe no matter what. But it's better to feel. It's better to love, I promise you. If I wouldn't have done that, I probably would have met Jeff and nothing would have happened because I couldn't connect with him. I wouldn't have been able to. I wouldn't have realized that he was my soulmate because I couldn't feel love. I turned it off. And thank God, thank God that I was able to feel. I think it was right around the time that I met him that I realized I could, you know, protect myself and keep my energy safe and never have my feelings hurt again and just go on a date with this guy and, you know, that can be whatever. Or I can make myself vulnerable and open up and possibly build something that could turn into the rest of my life. And I remember being in bed one night and I think he asked me out on another date and I was like, what do I want to do? Do I want to actually date this person and give them my emotions or should I keep being a robot? And I decided to flip the switch back and to make myself vulnerable and to put myself in a position where I could get hurt. I could get destroyed. But that's a chance I have to take in order to possibly reap the benefits of something that could be so amazing. And I was right. I was able to connect with my soulmate and now I'm married with a baby and it's, it's my fairy tale. So for me, I guess the most challenging aspect of being an empath is how emotionally draining it is, how physically draining it is. That's something I think I haven't touched on yet is just how much it takes out of me. For me to interact with a stranger or an acquaintance is so much more difficult than what you would imagine for just a normal human interaction. The best way I can describe it to you is just, it's like someone is draining the life force out of you. That's how I feel every time I have to interact with people. In order for me to have a conversation with someone, it takes so much energy because it it isn't just a regular conversation. I can't just shoot the shit with someone. I am feeling all of their feelings and in turn analyzing and then customizing myself in order to reflect the perfect balance of emotions, tones, proper words to use. I'm doing all those things at the same time and it is so unbelievably exhausting. (laughs) Something that empaths tend to do is we customize ourselves in order to suit our situation, our surroundings, to suit the world. 
and it's very, very exhausting. Um, a good example that I can give for this is I used to work at Ace Hardware when I was a teenager. I was a checkout girl. I was like the only girl who worked there. And the type of people who come into Ace Hardware like five times a day, they're not happy people. They're very upset because they're coming in for the fifth time because they've got the wrong screw or the wrong bolt. And by the time it's their fifth or sixth visit, they're very angry. And so these old men would walk in and I'd be like, hi, can I help you? And they're like, don't talk to me. And I'm like, okay. And then by the time that they walk out after they've checked out with me, they're in like the best mood ever, laughing, making jokes with me, asking about my family, saying that they're going to see me next time. Because when someone would walk in and I could feel their energy, feel their emotion, I knew exactly how to customize myself in order to suit them. I knew the right tone to use. I knew the right words to say. I knew how to control the environment of emotions. So they were literally like sucked in and they had no choice other than to be in a good mood after I was done with them. It's, it's almost like, it's really, really hard to describe that process and, um, how I handle situations. I don't even know if there's a term for it. It's almost like mind control, I guess, but with emotions, but that's something that I've always done. And that's why it's always been so draining and so hard for me to interact with people. It takes so much out of me. Um, I had a tour manager and he would always escort me, you know, to and from the stage and then to meet and greets. And he saw me up close firsthand for everything. And he was like, wow, you can be on stage performing for two hours and walk off and be fine. But after 30 minutes of meet and greets, you look like I need to take you to the hospital because that's how draining meet and greets would be. Every single person that would come up to me would walk away feeling like they just met their best friend because I knew exactly how to customize myself in order to make them feel comfortable, at ease, happy, excited, understood, accepted, loved. I knew exactly what to do, exactly what to say, because I could read their emotions and then I could reflect what they needed to see. I knew what they needed from me. I knew what they wanted. I knew exactly what to say. But in order to do that, it's so unbelievably tiring. And honestly, that's another reason why I never dated. Like I had a boyfriend when I was 16 years old. And then after that, I never, I never was in a relationship and I didn't even like going on dates because God, it was so tiring. I would give these guys a chance and I knew exactly what they wanted to see. I knew exactly what they wanted me to say. I knew how to make them feel comfortable. So we, I would go on a date with someone and they'd be like, oh, like you're my soulmate. I've I've fallen in love. And I'm over here like, oh, I can't fucking stand you. Like I'm going to delete your number as soon as I leave. But they would have no idea because, you know, from their point of view, I'm perfect. I said all the right things. I did all the right things. I made them feel so comfortable. I could read their mind. It was like we, we were on the same page. And it's like, no. I knew what I was doing. <laughs> That's why you felt like you fell in love. And it sounds like such a great talent, you know, like I'm some sort of superhero that can make everyone feel comfortable and feel great, which I can, but it also leaves me feeling incredibly alone, incredibly isolated. It makes me feel like there's no one on earth who could possibly understand me because I can't be myself around anyone. I'm the version of me that they want because I'm able to show that to them and they don't want to dig any deeper. Why would they? And thank God that I found, you know, my husband that I have now, because I started to do that when we were on a date. And then as we talked and as we talked, I realized that I wasn't pretending. I wasn't putting on a false front. 
I was being myself. And he loved that. He loved the authentic version of me. And I realized that I didn't have to customize myself to him because he liked me exactly as I was. So there's a happy ending to that. (laughs) But I think that's probably the hardest part about being an empath is that I feel that most people don't know me. They have no idea. They know what I show them. And it's hard. So I hope I answered, you know, a lot of the questions that I was asked. Hopefully this shed some light on the topic. But more than anything, I hope if there's some people out there who feel crazy, who feel like they're possibly insane, that no one understands them, I want you to know that I do understand you. There's tons of people out there who feel exactly like you feel. You're not alone. You're not crazy. You don't have to go through this shit alone. There's ways to cope with what you're feeling. There's ways to harness it and to make it stronger and to help people. Instead of seeing it as this curse, see it as this gift that you've been given. Imagine if the entire world had a little bit more empathy. We wouldn't have the problems that we're having. There would be no race war. There would be no hatred. We would all just love each other. So see this ability that you have as this divine gift, because it is. Us, as empaths, have the chance to change the world. To change the way that people think. The way that they feel. The way that they interact. So see it as a gift. Harness it. Make it stronger. And just know that you're not alone.